Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Paleo View. You made it through double sun (laughs) podcasts and extensive amount of research. So Sarah and I are back again this week with pages and pages of more research. (laughs) So uh, we what you know the unofficial what I just explained off air was um, you know when we were put, when I was putting together the research for the the you know sun exposure uh, sunscreen you know that whole kit and caboodle um, two part uh, podcast episode that we just finished I had put together a ton of notes just because it was it was so much material to go through. And I often have like handwritten notes, but I had actually typed this up and I had links and I thought, you know, this is great. Uh, at some point I will write up all that information for, for a blog post. And, uh, you know, we've been podcasting for almost six years, right? So finally I have a system is basically what I'm saying is that was such a great way to organize all of my thoughts for podcasting. I'm like, I should write notes like this all the time which is why I have notes like that for tonight. I am taking bets on how long this will ask. So feel free <laughs> to submit your guesses. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's helpful for me too to see kind of where we're going and to look into things. So I am looking forward to it as well. I will say thank you for those Uh, comments and feedback that we got about the past couple of shows that we did. I have already been able to refer people who are telling me they have skin cancer and, you know, asking for recommendations on um, that kind of stuff, you know, genetic running in the family. And I love and appreciate so much the amount of notes and science that went into those two shows. And I know that people will be able to refer back to it and refer friends and family who are having you know, those similar questions and concerns to those shows for a long, long time. So I'm glad that if, you know, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right here on the Paleo View for sure. So as a token of my appreciation for all of you who were interested in reaching out, I am offering to anyone that places an order with me with Beauty Counter, a free sunblock this month. So the entire month of June, and there's details um, in my social media, or you can email me, or if you're on my email list, go look at it. Uh, but essentially, it's like a tier, depending on how much you spend, is, is what kind of and the size of sunscreen that you'll get. But if you're interested in the sunscreen that we talked about last week, the zinc oxide, titanium oxide, either the face stick or... You forgot to say non-nano. (laughs) Non-nano, non-aerosol mist spray. Um, If you're blue blocking, (laughs) if I mentioned everything, (laughs) if you're interested in those sunblocks, they are your gift with purchase from me this month. So beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth. And if you have any questions, just email me um, through the blog or comment on social media and I'll be happy to help you. But wanted to just kind of give back and um, 
encourage everybody to at least try the safer sun. I know we talked about I was really nervous about it. So maybe this will be a way for you to, to give it a try with a little less concern. So do you want to know something super ironic? Because you talked about not using sunblock, you must have gotten sunburned last uh-huh. week. It sure did. <laughs> oh, there you <laughs> it have it. It wasn't terrible, but I was shaking my head a whole lot. It was one of those like, oh, we'll only be out for half an hour. It'll be fine. And then a half an hour turned into an hour and a half. And I was like, oh, man, if I'd known this was going to be an hour and a half, I would have put on some preventative zinc oxide sunscreen. But, uh, <laughs> made made some 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 silly assumptions there. Well, this way maybe people can just keep it in their purse or their car so that when that happens, they're covered. Pun intended. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving right along. <laughs> puns are my favorite form of humor. I just, they really are. I love puns. Um, and this week we're actually talking about a topic that has also come up for our family for years. Um, I've talked before about depression on the show, but anxiety is another stem of depression. And we've blogged years and years ago about it being one of the things that Matt had crippling before he went paleo and, and got better. But of course, it's still in his nature and his personality. So I love this question and topic that we have this week. And I'm Looking forward to listening and not having to take my own notes because you've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, this was just one of those questions where when I read it, I I also felt uh, a very personal link to it because depression and anxiety run very strongly through my family, um, as does bipolar disease. And I've also had a history of um, not crippling anxiety attacks. Uh, but the first one I did think I was having a heart attack and did end up in the ER because it was like that crazy. Um, after that, I just sort of understood, oh, I'm just having a massive anxiety attack and my ears are ringing so loud. I can't hear anything. And my peripheral vision is leaving me and I can't breathe, but it will be fine. Um, that's not actually how, um, how I talked to myself in the middle of an anxiety attack, but, um, but yeah, so because of my own my own sort of family history, and granted, you know, I haven't had um, an anxiety attack since going paleo, but I I do have this also this personal experience. So um, those are you know obviously the kind of questions that when, I think when both Stacy and I can relate to it in a very personal way, we realize that we are far from the only ones. Um, this isn't just because it it happens to um, to hit us in a, in a uh, sort of personal place, it's because this is such a common experience that we can say, well, yeah, that's happened to us too. So um, without further ado, why don't I jump in? So Lauren asks, I recently went from strict paleo to trying dairy-free here and there in my diet. While strict paleo, my anxiety and OCD practically disappeared. I no longer had panic attacks and the intrusive thoughts practically disappeared. Well, Upon adding dairy back into my diet, I noticed within hours that my anxiety and intrusive thoughts were at an all-time high. I was extremely irritable with my husband, angry for absolutely no reason, and depression was the only way I could describe my mood. I cut out dairy and within 24 hours was back to feeling almost myself again. So I'm curious what you all have to say about the correlation between dairy and depression, anxiety, and other postpartum mood disorders. 
I've recently found minimal research linking dairy and mood disorders, so I'm second-guessing this huge link of my diet and my mood. With both kids' births, I was more lax with paleo after, and looking back now, I noticed that when I went more strict paleo, my mood disorders got better. Is it really as easy as diet, at least in some cases? So I want to reiterate that we are not medical professionals and that we're going to talk about science-supported concepts, but if you have a medical condition, we encourage you to consult a medical professional. I would say, too, to the question, is it really as easy as diet? We try to always remind people that paleo does not cure cancer, and it might not be the case that... Some changes that help somebody are going to help you to the same degree, maybe less, maybe more. Um, And it's all about finding the things that work for you. So with those disclaimers. (laughs) And and also, you know, we've talked about this on the show before, and we're not going to get into things like medication for uh, mood disorders or anxiety or depression on this show. We have talked about it in in some previous podcasts, at least um, from personal experience. But uh, it is really, really important not to make changes in your medications without talking to your doctor first when you're talking about these types of medications. Um, so just also, it's one of the, the classic, I want to fix things by changing diet and lifestyle. And sometimes diet and lifestyle can be enough to, to reverse conditions. Um, and then we want to be just like, oh, okay, great. I'll throw all my medications away. But sometimes uh, a you know discontinuing medication requires weaning off. It requires supervision. It can cause some other problems. Um, and so that is all something that needs to be done under medical supervision as well. Totally agreed. I will say from personal experience, I, I mentioned Matt having this Um, condition ongoing, but I too had panic attacks. They were so bad. I actually missed a whole semester of college. Um, And I have not had them since I went paleo over eight years ago, except when my grandmother died and I was not sticking to paleo at all. I had a panic attack on the way home from her service when I'd eaten a bunch of stuff. Now, it didn't occur to me until later that that's what had happened. But from my N equals one experience, I can say the answer to the question is, is diet, is it easy that, is it that easy with a diet? Um, and it was for me. However, it was not that easy when it came to depression, right? So we're going to talk about all the different nuances. And, you know, when you talk about, mood and anxiety, there's different variations, there's things that occur acutely, there's things that occur cumulatively, systematically. I always think of it as inflammation of the brain. And I think that that's kind of a a good way to think of it yourself when you're conceptualizing how food might affect your mood. Um, And it took me a while to, even after I'd gone paleo, to acknowledge this that this was a thing that could help. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the science says, but that's just my own kind of anecdotal how I think about it in a layman's terms perspective. So actually, that is exactly where I wanted to start, was actually talking about uh, some of the uh, neurological phenomena that are happening in anxiety, depression, mood disorders. Because 
they're really complex. So there's changes in brain morphology in different areas of the brain that are active. There's neuroendocrine disruption. So that's changes in neurotransmitters, changes in neurohormones, changes in receptors. Um, and there's also this growing number of papers that are linking inflammation as potentially being uh, the root cause behind all those changes. But it's because it, it's so complex the way that, you know, you could be changing how one neurotransmitter is signaling uh, or the receptor to another neurotransmitter. You can be changing different areas of the brain that are active. And it's it's one of the reasons why inflammation is linked to basically all um, neurologic um, and neurodegenerative diseases, actually. Um, inflammation seems to be, if not the cause, at least part of the cause in all of these different conditions. But because the brain is so complex, the symptoms that you feel can be completely different depending on, you know, is uh, the inflammation affecting this region of the brain more or this region of the brain more? Is it affecting this system of neurotransmitters more or this system of neurotransmitters more? Um, how long has this been going on? What else is going on, right? All of those things can really change, right? So uh, stress is a, is a really interesting ingredient in this particular sort of murky soup um, that leads to, to mood disorders. But there is this this growing recognition that um, inflammation is is part of the pathology and that actually systemic inflammation is a major, major risk factor for mood disorders. And so we're now seeing this very, very strong link between mood disorders and cardiovascular disease in diabetes and obesity. So um, having uh, even just high cardiovascular disease risk factors increase and not actually cardiovascular disease. So having high, you know, um, blood, you know, cholesterol, LDL, uh, triglycerides, high blood pressure actually increases your risk for having mood disorders. And it's almost certainly because of a sort of common pathogenesis link. So a common causal link. Inflammation is driving a lot of the um, uh, mechanisms that are happening that are leading to cardiovascular disease, and they're driving a lot of the mechanisms that are leading to anxiety, depression, other mood disorders. Same with obesity, same with diabetes. And there's actually not just a link with inflammation in the brain, there's also a link with insulin resistance in the brain. So one of the things that we also see, right, there's insulin resistance in diabetes, obviously, but there also is an obesity and cardiovascular disease. And we're starting to characterize some types of uh, neurologic neurodegenerative conditions as sort of brain diabetes. So Alzheimer's is, is almost being considered like a type three diabetes um, because insulin resistance is, is a really key driver of Alzheimer's disease. But there's now beginning to be recognition that that insulin resistance may be a culprit in uh, depression, just general depression, anxiety, um, and other conditions as well. So all of those things kind of go together, right? Insulin resistance drives inflammation. Inflammation drives insulin resistance. So it's 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 hard to sort of separate all of these things out. But when you think about inflammation as being a key driver of uh, mood disorders, then all of a sudden it, it doesn't it all of a sudden makes sense that you could. Uh, address mental health issues with diet. I mean, obviously, lifestyle is going to be really important as well, right? We see a very strong link between high stress, high chronic stress, um, inadequate sleep, uh, and depression. 
Um, we know that uh, being sedentary doesn't necessarily increase risk of depression, but being active lowers risk of depression. So we understand that there's this this really complex link and, and inflammation might be the thing that sort of ties all of those things together. But there are some studies that look at um, a link between allergies. Um, so Lauren's question is a little bit more about food intolerance, I think. Um, but the easiest place to start when sort of diving into the literature with any of these things is look at allergies because allergies are much, much better understood um, and much more thoroughly researched than uh, food intolerances or food sensitivities. So there is definitely a link between uh, food allergies and anxiety and depression, at least in children and adolescents. I wasn't able to find any um, studies that looked at adults, but in children and adolescents, there's a very, very strong link. And so food allergies are associated with generalized anxiety uh, disorder, attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder, and anorexia. And so having those food allergies increased the, the risk of these um, uh, mental illnesses. And we also know that adolescents with food allergies um, they have their symptoms of uh, anxiety and depression will continuously get worse. So you can follow them over time and you'll see that, at, you know, if you are uh, using these surveys to grade how severe the depression and anxiety is, you'll see that they'll score worse and worse and worse from assessment to assessment. Um, so there seems to be some link between food allergies and the progression of, of these mental disorders. And that being said, studies have also shown that it doesn't necessarily change the likelihood of a psychiatric disorder. So that's something like schizophrenia or OCD. So these studies are, are much more drawing um, a, a link to uh, anxiety and depression and not necessarily, um, you know, something like schizophrenia. You know, schizophrenia has a, a, also a very, very complex pathogenesis that involves uh, genetic predispositions. It's like strongly linked and is actually suspected autoimmune disease. So that kind of falls into a different category. And food allergies don't seem to affect risk of that. So there's, there is this collection of studies, at least in children and adolescents, that, that can link allergies. And that makes sense from, uh, you know, the, the um, idea of allergies are very, very potent drivers of inflammation, and especially if you are exposed to the foods that you're allergic to, right? The allergic response, that's an inflammatory response that's so severe it can be life-threatening, right? Anaphylaxis is life-threatening. So you can see, you know, allergies cause inflammation, drives depression, anxiety. That's a, that's a fairly linear track. Um, so it sort of makes sense that you would see something similar with uh, non-allergy food intolerances. So that would be something like an IgG antibody um, that's considered a food intolerance or uh, a sensitivity would be something like FODMAP sensitivity, uh, lactose intolerance, right? So there's, we have this whole other um, collection of ways that our bodies can react negatively to foods that are not allergies. They're not driven by histamine production by mast cells and basal cells due to IgE antibody production, right? That is the allergy mechanism. That is only one way that we can react negatively to food. We've got this whole other collection of, of ways, many of which we can't even test for. So in that whole other category of ways that we can have sensitivities to food, the best studied is actually gluten. 
So we've got actually a, a really robust collection of studies now that are looking into non-celiac gluten sensitivity and, um, and really trying to understand what that is, because it's not always driven by antibodies, um, but we can see really clear symptoms that disappear when someone eliminates gluten and come back when someone consumes gluten. So the classical presentation of non-celiac gluten sensitivity is typically irritable bowel-like symptoms. So that's basically any collection of GI symptoms, but the most characteristic are abdominal pain, bloating, and bowel habit abnormalities. So that can be either extreme. Um, and then also some kind of uh, uh, non-GI symptoms. So these can be anything from um, sort of foggy brain, headaches, fatigue, joint pain, um, carpal tunnel type symptoms, uh, any kind of skin symptoms, something like eczema, uh, acne, um, anemia is considered a potential sy symptom of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Um, and depression and anxiety are actually considered potential symptoms of non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And so there have been this, you know, collection now of studies that have really looked at whether or not there is a, a link, and they found one, between the um, consumption of gluten-containing foods and the onset of neurologic uh, symptoms, things like depression, anxiety. There's actually something called gluten psychosis where gluten is causing hallucinations. Um, there's actually a link between gluten sensitivity and schizophrenia um, and also potentially a link uh, with autism. So we see that there's at least responders and non-responders in terms of autistic spectrum disorder of kids who, who have their symptoms improve with adoption of a gluten-free, usually it's a gluten-free casein-free diet. Uh, so certainly some uh, subtypes of, of ASD, because we now think that ASD is a, a broad collection of, um, of conditions and, and different and a collection of diagnoses, certainly some of them seem to respond, or maybe it's some kids seem to respond to a gluten-free um, casein-free diet. Now, that's non-celiac gluten sensitivity. There's, it's also really important to understand that there's a strong link even with celiac disease. So, um, in fact, there are some researchers who are trying to um, suggest that we should be screening um, as somebody comes into a psychiatric ward, we should be screening for uh, celiac disease. So that what they're actually saying is that these uh, psychiatric um, uh, and neurologic symptoms, so things like severe depression, uh, severe an anxiety, things like schizophrenia or what might look like schizophrenia, what might look like bipolar disease, um, what might look like you know something like ataxia where you're, you're losing control over your body, that these could actually be um, the presenting symptoms of celiac disease. So instead of somebody suffering from the GI symptoms, because not all celiac sufferers have the GI symptoms, um, some have what's sort of considered like a quiet celiac disease. So you have um, less direct uh, symptoms. So it's a lot harder to get a diagnosis for those people. And there are some researchers that are actually saying like this, this could be how celiac disease is presenting um, for some people is, is as um, these sort of psychiatric um, diagnoses. 
So there are a variety of different types of anxiety and depression that are associated with gluten uh, sensitivity, intolerance, and celiac disease. And it really sort of encompasses, I think, what a lot of us um, face. So um, what's called state anxiety, which means that we basically experience anxiety when we're confronted with specific situations, um, something like, uh, you know, an event or an you know, object, right? Like, oh, I see a poison steak, I have anxiety, right? So it's, it's, um, a type of anxiety that is in response to uh, something in our environment, uh, social phobia, panic disorders, anxiety disorder. Um, and what's really you know, important to emphasize is anxiety improves on a gluten-free diet for, for these people. Um, depression also has this really strong link. So major depressive disorder has been linked. Uh, what's called uh, either persistent depressive disorder or dysthymic disorder um, has been linked to, to gluten um, sensitivity. Adjustment disorder has been linked, uh, at least in celiac disease. Uh, depression, um, bipolar disease. Actually, um, people with bipolar disease have a much higher likelihood of having IgG antibodies against gluten. And there's improvement in symptoms following a gluten-free diet. So in the, in the realm of food intolerances, food sensitivities, um, so we know we have you know, in true allergy, there's a, there's a link with depression, anxiety, and mood disorders. In terms of um, non-allergies, we've got a really strong link with gluten, and we've got a, a really compelling collection of, of scientific research that links um, gluten sensitivity to um, mental health challenges. What's interesting is, you know, Lauren has drawn this, you know, line with with dairy and asked specifically, you know, is dairy a, a symptom? And there really is very limited research that looks at other foods other than gluten. But what's really cool is that there are some researchers, there was a, a really important landmark sort of 2017 paper that suggested that these um, mood disorders, depression, anxiety, that it actually draws this link through food sensitivities kind of all the way back to leaky gut. So the idea is that you've got some drivers of leaky gut. So that can be, you know, the zonulin that is being released from gluten consumption in people with celiac disease, but also people with celiac risk genes. That could be um, high stress <laughs> causes leaky gut. Um, we know that um, uh, being sedentary over exercising can negatively impact gut health. We know that not getting enough sleep can negatively impact gut health, not eating enough fiber. Uh, we've got all kinds of foods, um, you know, wheat and other, it's not just gluten, but it's like wheat germaglutinin. Um, we've got lots of compounds in our foods that can cause a leaky gut, alcohol consumption, uh, a lot of, uh, environmental toxins are potential contributors. So we've got this situation where, um, we, we can develop uh, increased intestinal permeability, leaky gut. And when you have increased intestinal permeability, what, one of the things that happens is not as broken down food particles can get into the body. So we're talking about uh, peptides, which are, are small fragments of proteins as opposed to amino acids can get inside the body. Um, you're talking about basically longer chains of carbohydrates, longer chains of fats, and just inside the wall of the intestines is 
eight, 70 to 80% of the immune system. And it's there as a sentinel, right? It's there to detect this common source of infection to be able to fight it off as efficiently as possible. Um, and it's there as part of the gut barrier. So it happens when these things leak into the body that should not be getting in intact is the immune system recognizes them as foreign substances and can learn that this is a, uh, you know, a, a pathogen that needs to be attacked. And then you can develop different types of immune reactions to foods, including IgG food sensitivities. So the authors of this paper postulate that leaky gut, which is uh, just a situation that our you know, Western diets and, and lifestyles seems to support. Uh, that leads to an increase in IgG food sensitivities. And we certainly can see one of the, the most classic symptoms of leaky gut is having uh, you know, tons and tons of IgG food sensitivities show up on a, on a food sensitivity panel. That, that then uh, in, increases um, what are called inflammatory cytokines. Cytokines are these chemical messengers of inflammation that our immune cells secrete. So as you're driving an immune reaction with IgG food sensitivities, that is dr dramatically signaling inflammation. Uh, cytokines travel through the blood and they stimulate inflammation throughout the entire body, including in the brain. That inflammation is then causing depression. And so this is really a new way of thinking about depression and anxiety and, and other mood disorders, of looking at it as linked to gut health, um, but being driven by food sensitivities that are arising from a leaky gut. Um, but that really does open up the, the possibility of, um, let's not say treating, let's say managing depression and anxiety through uh, to start identifying the food culprits and, and uh, adopting a rotation diet with those culprits, having a very sophisticated uh, metric for evaluating whether or not a food is a healthy food or an unhealthy food, which was what you know paleo does. So if you've read uh, either of my books, Paleo Principles or The Paleo Approach, and you've looked at the compounds that are in um, grains, pseudograins, legumes, uh, vegetables of the nightshade family, and how those interact with the gut barrier it becomes really clear that those are not foods that are going to support gut barrier health if you're somebody who's already dealing with that challenge. Uh, and there are certain nutrients that are really, really strongly linked with, with gut health as well. So it becomes a, a sort of a really easy thing to be able to see, okay, rotation diet plus an anti-inflammatory diet that supports gut health, right? A vegetable-rich bone broth. We've talked about um, uh, leaky gut and, and, and foods to eat on leaky gut before on this podcast, and we can link to those in the show notes. Um, and there's also a, a ton of information on my site in terms of, uh, you know, what is a leaky gut and, and what can I, what causes it? What can I eat to, to heal it? But it suddenly becomes a much easier thing to sort of understand that um, a huge part of um, managing mental illness is dealing with gut health and systemic inflammation. And then that other piece comes all the way back to, uh, you know, the, the inflammatory cells in the brain. So they're called microglial cells or are one of the main inflammatory cells in the brain. They're a little bit hard to turn off once they turn on. So things like getting enough sleep, getting exercise, 
um, having you know stress management techniques like mindfulness, those are all things that are really, really important for deactivating microglial cells. So it kind of brings everything full circle to, you know, this is one of the reasons why so many people report improvements in mental health symptoms with a paleo diet. It also explains why we're not like superhuman when we adopt paleo because stress triggers inflammation. Chronic stress triggers inflammation in the brain. So it really explains why we sort of need – it's not just as simple as, as just diet. We, we, it's, it's not just diet that is, is the cure. Um, but that combination of diet, um, doing at least a rotation if not elimination of uh, foods we've developed sensitivities to and dialing in lifestyle can be so – powerful when it comes to managing mood disorders. So I had so many thoughts and comments as you were talking, which you were on a roll and I was like, I can't interrupt you. So I want to go back to one of the things that you said, which was that it's thought that when someone is entering with either, you know, perceived psychosis, that they be tested for celiac disease. I think that's such a powerful statement when it comes to if you are experiencing any sort of depression or anxiety or or any of these health conditions, giving, as you said, gluten-free, casein-free, which is so easy nowadays with all of the alternatives that are out there. We're not even talking about going paleo or AIP, like just gluten-free, dairy-free, having the incredible results that you talked about. To me, it's such a no-brainer to give a try for 30 days. And I, I just really wanted to like highlight that as being an incredible fact and statement that I think more people need to hear and explain to loved ones in their lives about the impact that this could have in just a short period of time, whether it's a whole 30 or just going, you know, gluten-free, casein-free, or, you know, however you want to describe it to someone in a way that's socially acceptable and, you know, that, you know, whatever perception it is. I I know that some people aren't really ready to swallow the paleo pill and Kool-Aid yet, but um, that's, that's incredible, crazy stuff. Yeah, it's actually really remarkable because you can totally understand that there's a nutrient density piece here that they're they're not doing in studies, right? But that makes so much sense. So there's all these separate studies showing that uh, fish oil supplementation can be beneficial in depression and anxiety, that dialing in vitamin D levels is really, really important. And about 75% of Westerners are deficient in vitamin D. So getting tested for vitamin D and dialing in vitamin D, uh, fish oil, there's a lot of B vitamins that are really important in mental health as well. And so you know, you can kind of understand that there's this there's this nutrient density piece that they're not they're not even doing in these studies. They are taking away a trigger um, without addressing the part where you know I, I would think that you could get an even better result by uh, also having this focus on these these nutrients that are like in separate studies shown to be helpful. If you could combine those, which is what the paleo diet is or the autoimmune protocol is, uh, at least on paper. It, it looks like you should either get, you know, fast results or better results, if not both. Um, and that's what, you know, anecdotally people report. We just don't have a, a clinical trial that says, well, hey, you know, let's take uh, this group of people, 
you know, with uh, depression, anxiety, and and put them on paleo. We've got studies in cardiovascular disease, in uh, diabetes. Um, we've got weight loss studies. We've actually got cancer studies now with paleo. We've got the multiple sclerosis studies. We've got the study in inflammatory bowel disease on the autoimmune protocol. We've got a pretty great collection of studies. Unfortunately, this is not one area in which someone has said, well, like, let's, let's just take this to the next level. And instead of just going, you know, gluten free, let's, let's try paleo. I think it'd be really a really great, great study given what a huge percentage of people are battling, you know, mental, um, mental illness in in this country these days. It's, It's really become a huge, huge challenge for so many people. I just was waiting for the mic to drop. I mean, there, that worked. <laughs> Back to Lauren's original question. I think what's, you know, interesting too that we didn't really talk about is the postpartum perspective and um, dairy in particular. I know we talked a lot about gluten and the research being there, but I think hopefully the application of what we've talked about from inflammation and and knowing how these foods have an impact on us. You know, some people can tolerate dairy. Some people can tolerate certain kinds of dairy. Some people can't tolerate it at all. So, you know, it might affect you, but it might not affect somebody else. And I think it's just really important to know, first of all, it sounds like what you're already doing, which is that when you added it back, you noticed anxiety, you know, immediately. Um, But then to also be aware of how that plays out over time, because our bodies really do change and what might work for you today might not work tomorrow and vice versa. So just being really open to listening to your body as we always talk about. Um, I will say for me, um, postpartum, I had, I definitely had most more postpartum depression, specifically with Finn, than I did with Wesley. Um, But then I ended up having a really severe autoimmune crash when I was done nursing Wesley. Even though I was paleo, I was very low-carb paleo at the time. And it was the first time in over a decade that my body had not been either pregnant or nursing. And those hormones just came together in a really, really big crash. So which has nothing to do, which might sound like it has nothing to do with um, mental health. But ultimately, I did a bunch of blog posts back in that time period about how much my mental health was being affected during that time. And there is a post-nursing depression, just like there's a postpartum depression. And um, for me, it took a lot of nutrient density and focus on healing, nourishing foods and, you know, right mindset, extra sleep, all the things that we talk about in order to get out of what ended up being both postpartum or post nursing depression, as well as an autoimmune flare. So to those people who are struggling, like I have been there and we have had shows on this. We've had blog posts on this, both from, you know, personal perspective of living it also as this is what we recommend based on science. So I just want to offer mental support and fist bumps and all the things that you need to feel because I've, I've been there and I know how 
awful and dark and lonely. It can feel and frustrating when you're trying so hard and you're trying to stay positive and you feel like you're doing all the things and you're making what feel like very hard choices and you're not making the progress you want. So I just want to encourage the people who are there and working through that just to keep on keeping on and know that you're part of our community and we're with you. (laughs) We might not be physically with you, but we are so with you and we support you in what you're doing. And I hope that you find somebody else in your life who can be a support system. Cause I think mental health is so important to be able to have someone to talk through it with, whether it's a therapist or a loved one or both where you can really be honest and get out the feeling, get out the feelings that you have. Um, It's just, it's incredible the difference that it makes when you can talk through things and have a support system in addition to all of the other lifestyle factors that we've talked about. I mean, raise the roof. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for emailing us, Lauren. Um, We didn't have a, um, a review today. But we have received many from you all, and we thank you so much for sending those in. Just as a reminder, if you would like to share something with our listeners about the podcast or our blogs, we welcome your feedback. You can submit them through the contact form on our blog, and we are sorting through them and sharing them as appropriate on future podcasts so that our listeners can get the feedback of other shows that you've heard and listened to and what you recommend to others so that they, if they just maybe started listening to the podcast this year, what are some of the best ones that you loved previously or different things that you can share with our listeners. We're ha- we, we love getting the comments and feedback from you all, whether it's in social media or, you know, through the contact form on our blog or however you want to submit iTunes, them. iTunes reviews. iTunes reviews as well. Absolutely. We love your iTunes reviews. And we do pull from specific comments and topics there as well. And then just as a reminder, you can always support us by shopping the Links in the sidebar of our blog, thepaleomom.com and realeverything.com. And I will put a link on the sidebar of my blog for that sunscreen special because I, I realized I didn't really give you a good link or something at the beginning of the show. So I'll put that on the sidebar of our blog. So if you're looking for that information, it'll be there for you this month. Anything else I forgot to mention, Sarah? Uh, no, we'll make sure that there's <laughs> links. I mean, I, I do have a, a, a very large collection of articles on my site that if people are, are more interested in the sort of the leaky gut piece of this, of this whole equation, I've got a ton of information, uh, including a video-based course, um, that, that people can, can take if they, if they're interested in really digging into the nitty gritty. So we'll make sure that there's links to all of that in the show notes as well. Um, but I also, I want to thank Lauren for her question and thank everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. I totally was unprepared to say something witty there at the end. I mean, thank you, smart. (laughs) That's generous. It's not witty. And it's, but it's like an appropriate thing to say at the end of a podcast. So I think you're fine.
Okay. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.